0: hey what's up y'all greg armstrong from the gospel and race podcast and i'm taking a quick break from podcasting to talk to you about the imago leaders network Listen family, I've been looking for a long time for a tribe, a crew, a people that understand the complexities of multi-ethnic church planting, leadership, and justice related items. And we have it ready for you. We have developed um, a family of leaders who will lead on each other as we discover and develop uh, tools to lean into multi ethnic leadership. I want you to join me at our first interest meeting in September. The information is on the screen, but you also can visit ImagoLeaders.com for all of the information needed. If you are a leader and you need a people, a crew, a family to discern the complexities of multi ethnic leadership, the Imago Leaders Network is for you. Let's go. Spread the word, and I'll see you in September. All right, y'all, we're back. Gospel and Race podcast. This is becoming my favorite thing. Well, I can't say that. It's becoming one of my favorite things okay. to do. I'm a pastor first. I love my church. Amen. But um, serving the church and talking about multi-ethnic, talking about race, justice. I'm just, this is just, God is just opening this up to yeah. be a passion. But anyways, listen, I'm not getting into all that. Because today, our special guest, I'm telling you, um, I'm excited about this. I know we took a little hiatus for the summer, but we had to come back strong. And uh, Dr. Dennis Edwards, everybody. Dr. Dennis Edwards is in the house. I'm so glad to be here. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. Dr. Edwards, thanks for hanging with us. And I got to read off your vibe here. I got to read this off. All right. Vice President for Church Relations mm-hmm. and Dean of Sem- of the Seminary at North Park Seminary at North Park University. That's right. Dope. Dr. Dennis Edwards, a Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards, Ph.D., is ordained in the Evangelical Covenant Church. This is our mm-hmm. second covenant brother we've had on right. since and is a highly accomplished New Testament scholar with more than 25 publications to his credit most recently as co-editor for a book on the Bible's affirmation that Black Lives Matter. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Edwards, you joined North Park in 2019 as a New Testament professor. Now you're the dean, <laughs> church planter, pastor, <laughs> reverend, scholar, writer. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So amen. good to have you.
1: It really is good to be with you, Greg. It's, um, I was looking forward to this.
0: Very much so, same here. Now, now I've known you since what, 2018, 2018 when you came here. That's right. And uh, this is a funny story because a similar story I told with Daniel Yang on a pre- couple oh. of co- podcasts ago. All right. Um, you, you tell me about your church planning days, multi-ethnic church planner, in mm-hmm. Minneapolis, Minnesota, mm-hmm. also in D.C. area, DC, yeah. the DMV yeah. and uh, black scholar, mm-hmm. writer. I ran up to Doctor Edwards and was like, "Listen, you are my mentor, bro." You did say like, that. Did I say that? You did. I said you're my mentor. I'm a I'm following you. I'll do anything you say. And I think and and, and our personalities are obviously like you're more introverted. Yes, I am. I'm more extroverted. Yeah, which and is good for a church planner. It's, it's good. good. Did I scare you off, bro? Did no, I? you didn't scare me off. Okay, right on. I was on, right excited on. about that. <laughs> But I, I, I took you to lunch, and I'm like, that's right. I remember. You remember that? Yes. We ate City Barbecue. I, I remember it well. And I said, "Listen, man, you're gonna mentor me. You're gonna teach me mm-hmm. everything. I'm gonna mm-hmm. listen. I'm gonna write. And I'm, I'm still taking that position, sir. Okay. Well,
1: I, I feel really badly now because I left Northern and I'm at North Park now. I'm like, oh no. No. Nah, but um, you're still in the hood, though. Well, you still yes, there? yes. We still can connect. Thank
0: yeah. T- so tell us what's been, yeah. what you've been up to, what's been in your heart.
1: Well, yeah. Thank you. I um. I took the job as dean. It's been about a year. I'm starting my second academic year in the role. Um, I still get to do, um, I don't really do any teaching, but I get to do a lot of speaking and sure. connecting with people, stuff that I enjoy. Um, I, I try to encourage my faculty and students. So that, that role I have there. Um, and, I, and I'm a liaison for our denomination, the, the Evangelical Covenant Church yeah, from yeah. my role at the seminary. And I get to do some writing and research. So I'm working on some things there too.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. And so a few things, because we're going to talk about this. Hold on. We're going to talk about might, Mike from the margins. Yeah. I remember when you, I think I remember when you turned in the manuscript for this.
1: You probably do, because I was at Northern then, I think. Exactly, at yes. Northern Seminary with us <laughs> that's then. That's
0: right. And you turn in the manuscript, and I was looking forward to it. We traveled together a few times, and you spoke on yes. this. And so it's been just a great hmm. staple. Thank you. This is my second copy, by the way. I oh. got a copy that you signed for me. Oh, yes. I you remember. Know, <laughs> we were at the conference a few months ago. That's right. But um, I'm going to jump right in because we don't sure. have a ton of time today. Okay. Um, obviously, this podcast is geared towards the multi-ethnic church. Mm-hmm. But then even more importantly, it's geared towards addressing a biblical view of Um, How how to address injustice and racism in the church. The reality is there's racism in the church. There is segregation still in communities. There's still contention. And the reality is this. I believe, Dr. Edwards, that the multi-ethnic church... Is positioned to be. Mm-hmm. Now, specifically, I'm going to say this, spe- specifically, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the multi-ethnic church led by persons of color mm-hmm. in this season. Yes. Don't, don't trip on me. <laughs> that it is the answer to the injustices that we're seeing in our communities and perhaps we can invade. the demonic oppression of racism if the church would actually step up so i want to let i want you to riff on that a little bit yes yes and then i got some questions to ask you but let's just jump into multi-ethnic
1: i I share that view um honestly i'm getting i'm older (laughs) i've been at this for a while now um the church in minnesota i didn't plant but i followed the church planter and that was the church the the sanctuary covenant church that was boldly uh, multi-ethnic and we'll say now they are a black-led, multi-ethnic church. We tried to do the same thing in DC at a church called Peace Fellowship. Mm. And then early, way back in the 80s, when it wasn't popular, I planted a church called New Community, <laughs> and uh, which doesn't exist now, but we back then the language was more like intercultural or multiracial, mm. that kind of language was getting tossed around. But in all those places, I think the thing that I was learning over the years is how important it is for people of, of color and people who've been marginalized to be seen as leaders and not just be seen as leaders, but to be the leaders Mm. um, because there's, there's a reality that um, as much as we might say, we want multi-ethnic and and, uh, church to be diverse, the way power is operated in our society is our our society often defers to white people in power, particularly in, in Christian settings. So there needs to, we, we need to see and feel and experience the leadership of people who aren't white. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds harsh for some people, but the reality is we're in a messed up place right now to a large degree in Christianity in America, polarized, we're, we're divided, we're, we're, we're struggling in some ways. And the people who are have been on the bottom, historically been marginalized, are the best exemplars of what it means to be followers of christ i believe that mm. because i think that's borne out throughout the scriptures and even throughout history
0: yeah. yeah so you're planting churches in the eight you're planting a church in the <laughs> 80s yes yes intercultural multicultural mm-hmm. multi-ethnic right what what like <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that's kind of what i'm tripping on like <laughs> right. the yeah. 80s planting a multicultural church where did this come from yeah. for you oh i
1: appreciate that i well My own background—I won't get into all of that Mm because I'm—I'm old. Like I said, I said that twice now. You ain't old. You ain't old. (laughs) It's relative, right? But I'm a product of of busing in New York City. So I was, you know, grew up in African American neighborhoods, but I got bused to white neighborhoods. Yeah. And so I was seeing, you know, worlds that didn't really meet, you know. Mm. And then when it came to Christianity, by the time I got to college, I was around Christians who are. um well, white Christians, many of them involved in these campus ministries. Yeah. And then African-American Christians, we were going to a different church and had our own little Bible study. And I, and I, maybe it was just the idealism of the 70s that made me think, why are we always separated? Why can't we do some things together? And, um, and there were some moments when that would happen. Yeah. And then by the time the 80s came along, I was going to a church that... Um, that it was largely white, it's a long story, but I stumbled into that church and didn't think I'd stay there very long. Mm-hmm. But then the pastor showed us, my wife and me, that uh, there was this African-American pastor in that same denomination. So I got to meet him and realized, oh, there were people who were talking about bringing people together. We felt like we, that pastor, me, yeah. my wife, others like us, felt like the church had this unique call to bring people together something that was hard to do in our society. I mean, we were, our society was divided, you know, has always been divided, right. but we felt like the church could bring that together. So for me, I said, yeah, the gospel is a, is a, is a good news message of, of people finding this unity with God, unity with each other. You know, we say fellowship might be the word we use. So there's this sense of, um, of unity that we thought that the church should, ha- should have and should exemplify. I was naive, I admit that because I thought it it was going to be easier than it than it was I didn't realize how resistant some people would be to that notion, but even way back in the eighties, I felt like our desire- our divided society needed to see reconciliation or union or some way of of um of us coming together needed to see that happen and see that the gospel was powerful enough to make that happen
0: That's crazy because. You know, that's what I believe now. Mm -hmm. And so I stand on the shoulders of folks like you, Mm -hmm. other scholars Mm -hmm. um, who are helping us really navigate Mm -hmm. the complexities of multi-ethnic in 2023. What what I'm struggling with is in the 80s, who who did you, Mm. who were you reading, looking at? I mean, I can't (laughs) imagine that it was, there's a crazy amount of pastors doing this because especially black led multi-ethnic churches, Right. Because we saw the boom of sort of the multiethnic, you know, mm-hmm. breakout. What in the eighties, nineties, late eighties, nineties, yeah. early two thousands, when multi-ethnic really became sort of right. a, a right. system of sorts, right? And yeah. we're kind of clawing our way out of that. So,
1: well, I mean, <laughs> I tend to not always want to name drop, but <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But there was there was somebody who. Planted a church on the west side. A guy named Raleigh Washington, and uh, he was with the Evangelical Free Church of America, and a white denomination had the first black pastor in there. And I saw how this, how, how the vision sort of was created. Right? There's mm-hmm. actually even a Christianity Today um, issue way back from I don't know, it's like '86 or '87, something like that that my wife is on the cover because the whole choir was on the cover of it. It says the gospel in black and white. I was actually there that day. I was with the choir with my saxophone, but I didn't make the picture. Oh, I, forgot <laughs> mention,
0: I forgot to mention musician. I missed oh, yeah. that piece. Oh, that's all right, man. I played the sax Yo. and the
1: flute, you know, but, but, um, but the reason why I'm hesitant to drop the name is because there were some things that I learned that I did not want to reproduce, mm. but there were at the same time things I learned that were important in terms of what it meant for, uh, in this case, African Americans to be involved in these white evangelical spaces. Hmm. I was watching it. I was experiencing it. Um, so on the upside, that church gave me a sense that, oh, you know what? There's something new and different and right about trying to get us to, together across these barriers of that society would have. Yeah. And race is one of them, but also economics. E- I mean, yeah. so many other barriers. And I felt like the church should be able to break down walls. In fact, that's the book that Pastor Washington wrote with a guy, the late Glenn K. Ryan, who was a phenomenal, a community developer. They wrote a book called Breaking Down Walls, you know. Hmm. But I would say I, I, I moved from some of uh, Raleigh Washington's philosophy um, of how he was doing ministry, but I shared some of the basics of of being in this a space that would model something that was different from the rest of the society. So that's, I mean, that was part of my influence in the 80s. I mean, I have to say there weren't a lot of models, mm, and mm-hmm. so consequently, consequently, we made a lot of mistakes, you know. But <laughs> but we were trying. We we just thought, you know, if we if we raise up, you know, this this vision, people would come. Yeah, I was naive. They weren't coming for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least yeah. not many people. Yeah.
0: So yeah, mm-hmm. that that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And but well, thank you for that mm-hmm. be, because because a lot of the scholarship that I've gone after, mm-hmm. it, it hasn't gone back that far. Mm-hmm
1: yeah to be honest yeah. with you, in well, the 80s. well, I wasn't seeing scholarship. I mean, this was more practitioner practi- yeah. um, In fact, the person I shouldn't even leave out, but of course, he was instrumental too is coach Wayne Gordon. I mean, when I was at the church on the west side at um, at the Rock Church, we were learning about um, what was happening in Lawndale. So really? I had to go visit over there when I was still a seminary student about to graduate to go see what God was doing over there, really. And that was a church that had also been serious about reaching its community. And bringing people together from different backgrounds, so that was another influence, but I would say you know the scholarship was actually the other way. The scholarship was saying that you should not try to be multiethnic. The big scholarship at the time was coming out of out of fuller and other places. The whole church growth movement had pushed something they were calling the homogeneous unit principle, Yep. and homogeneous unit principle was how churches grow best with people who are alike, yeah, so we were bucking the trend because at the time. Almost all the scholarship coming from missiologists and other practitioners was that you should not try to get people together from different backgrounds. That's correct. And not if you wanted growth.
0: Not right. By the way, shout out to Coach Wayne Gordon and Lawdale. Hey, yep. Amen. Uh we gotta get you on the podcast, Coach. <laughs> Come on now. You've retired. Yes, make that Retired from Lawndale. <laughs> Give me Amen. some time, Coach. Amen. <laughs> um the the homogenous uh, unit principle. That's right. Um that, that was a study. right? I've read about it. Mm-hmm. There was a study that said that churches will grow, you know, when they're with the same people. That's right. Was, do you think that was systemic? Do you think that was intentional?
1: <laughs> when I look back now, I, maybe I look back with eyes of cynicism, um, but I definitely think that's the way white people viewed what was best. Right. And yeah. they took some of their their thinking from what they saw on in um, mission fields outside of the United States where they would go into places that were pretty hom- homogenous, you know, the places that were, people were a lot alike. And so maybe, you know, to be fair, they, I guess it just seemed to them, it made sense that that's the way, you know, ideas and relationships kind of work, right? Mm-hmm. When people are alike. And there is some truth to it, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a certain comfort level when you're with people, this is one of my professors back in seminary said it this way, when you're with people with, uh, for whom you don't have to explain your terms. So yeah, there's something comforting about that. I mean, I'm Mm. certainly comfortable in spaces where there's a majority of African Americans, Um, but there was something that's something that's inherently racist, though, when you suggest that the way things have to be are dictated by um, by sort of a a white frame that sets the sort of sets the paradigm, Mm. sets the models for everybody, and that was happening in these kinds of conversations. So I don't know when you say systemic, maybe yes. I mean, I think it was
0: or maybe it, intentional. Yeah, maybe I think that's somewhat word.
1: intentional. I mean, I try to be fair-minded to people in the past because I don't know what they were thinking, honestly. Right. But the way it was used was felt racist. I'll just put it that way. It did. Yeah. So it did feel. Ra- that, it that's did. really what I wanted to get at. It did feel mm-hmm. racist. Oh yeah.
0: That this homogenous unit principle became the sort of the baseline for that's right. church growth. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, exactly. I, I, and I don't know fully how many people really took that on. Yeah. But I imagine that could be a part of the issue that yes. we're trying to claw ourselves out of in terms oh, of these.
1: I agree. I mean, just take one example. One of the big mega churches, I'm not going to call them out, but mm-hmm. they, well, a couple of them I could think of would create this, um, a, a model of this of the ideal kind of person they wanted to have, that they were targeting for their ministry. Yeah. And, um, and this one, I mean, I remember one out in California, they showed a picture of a guy with, you know, back then, this probably was, the language we were using as a yuppie, you know, that kind of language mm-hmm. of somebody who had their their um all their electronic stuff, whatever was that electronic we were using at the time, I don't know, <laughs> but his briefcase and all that stuff. Anyway, they made actually a a uh, like a a picture of that kind of person. This is yeah. well before avatars and all that, right? But right. they had a mock up of this kind of person. And so did some other mega churches and those people, of course, are white. You know, so they. Yeah. And one church that got planted, I remember hearing the guy who was really well known in the country saying, um, uh, his appeal was to, you want to go to church with people that you uh, would go on vacation with, you know. Mm-hmm. And he even came and spoke at my seminary when I was a seminary student. I mean, that that kind of thinking already kind of creates this this class separation, right? The people I'm going to go on vacation with. I mean, for already that says you got the means, yeah, to yeah, go on vacation yeah. and that, you know, all, a whole bunch of things that go with that. So I would say that, yeah, it, it was in those kind of spaces where they could create their model uh, member and that person be white and be upper middle class, be mobile, be, um, you know, so well off that they have property and all kinds of things that we were already saying by the way we were going to do church in America at least within evangelicalism that it had to look a certain way and mm. race was a big factor in that.
0: Mm. That's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. I remember going to a church on the, on the West coast. Mm-hmm. We were touring this church, big old church, man. Mm-hmm. And I remember the tour guide which was just hilarious because mm-hmm. that's how big it was. It was a tour guide, <laughs> tour guide was saying to us, yeah, well, it was very, very like secret attractional. Yeah. Well, you know, our church we don't sing songs about love and you Mm. know because we attract middle-aged men you know Mm. because they're they're the ones that give and they bring their family oh interesting and we sing song like we open up with a song by metallica i said what (laughs) metallica (laughs) and we you know and he starts naming all this stuff and the more he talked the more i was thinking like you've just you've iced me out of this church so clearly yes yes. you know what I mean you've told me who's supposed to be at this church exactly right but but the problem the problem I have dr. Edwards and here's what I want us to correct so Mm. that we can see some some growth the problem I have is when when said churches say we need diversity and we're gonna champion multi-ethnicity yeah and then they throw somebody black or Hispanic or or Asian up on the stage Right. But the frame doesn't change, That's right? And nimble. and so when yeah. I talk about clawing ourselves out of this kind of toxic multi-ethnicity, right. it's really this attempt to be multi-ethnic, which is drowned in tokenism, which is drowned in yeah. um, appropriation, um, and and, and want to call it multi-ethnic. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like there needs to be a clean slate. You know, <laughs> know <what I> mean? <laughs> just wipe it all out, right? Just yeah, wipe. No just don't. I have don't, felt
1: that way for sure. Have you felt that way? <laughs> oh. Much in my Just life. don't
0: even say multi, multi-ethnic. As a matter of fact, I've got friends who won't won't even acknowledge it anymore just because it's been so ravaged in many yeah. respects. Yeah. So I say we wipe it out. I say we reimagine through the gospel multi-ethnic. And I want to get into this because in, in in Might for the Margins, you talk about centering black voices. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be about black. It could be about any mm-hmm. indigenous or, or persons of color. Right. Um, give us some talk about the importance of that because Mm. I've gotten pushed back on that
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: and I'm not against white people planting multi-ethnic churches. Mm -hmm. Um, I've said this before to all of our GNR crew. Um, I feel like the turning of tables Mm -hmm. for white people to actually experience the empathetic nature Mm of persons of color yeah I believe there are I see it as like minerals and vitamins that they've never had to experience that Mm. comes out of the richness of a person's of person of color's culture
1: right good metaphor I like that
0: what are your thoughts on Mm -hmm. centering black voices or persons of color yeah as we champion the multi-ethnic church moving forward
1: some of my work in might from the margins came out of my study of first Peter yeah and in the book of first Peter I mean the whole letter is written to people who are on the margins of society Hmm. yet You know, there's some lines in there where the writer says, but you follow in Christ's footsteps. You know, there's this sense that they in their marginal position as and and Peter uses the language of people of a diaspora, aliens, strangers, foreigners. He uses that language to say, look, you're not at home in this culture here, but you represent Jesus to this world. Right. Hmm. So already there's something about people in that marginalized space who represent Christ well in the world. Um, Paul says it to the Corinthians you know you are not big in this world you were you were people of low status but God chose what's humble what's, yeah. what's lowly you know words to that effect to confound the wise and the people who are you know in the upper echelons so <clears throat> that's the way God has operated hmm. so that's one piece the other piece is how we do church in that I've seen people and I'll speak for myself here I've worked in in non-Christian environments. I was a school teacher for a while. And in those environments, when they talked about diversity and multiracial and multiethnic spaces, they really honestly tried to figure out ways that we could hear from each other and experience Mm. each other's culture. In white churches, I felt that it was much more symbolic. Like you said, it was a tokenism. It's to be able to say, well, we have those people coming here, but nothing shifted in terms of the way uh, ministry was done. Yeah, yeah. So it was almost as if our presence was desired uh, for the brochure or maybe later for the website, but not in terms of shifting the the culture of the space right mm, so for me multi ethnic <clears throat> means we we're going to do something in a whole new way we're going to do it differently, and the people who have been objects of injustice often know best how we fix those injustices yeah. and that's why i one reason why I appeal to a leadership being people of color and as an African American, I speak from my context. So I would say, yeah, we know what it's like to be on the margins, so let us help lead the way in fixing some of the things that are broken in our society.
0: Hmm, that's good. No, I wanna ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think I've voiced this openly <laughs> with folks before, but it's okay. a it's a thought I've had. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about, you know, Christianity is shaping Africa, mm. right? And I don't know where you stand on Africa, pre. You know, Christianity predating, yeah. you know, a white man's religion mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. I believe Christianity had already settled in. Yes. yes. Right. African.
1: Dr. Vince Bantu has written a lot on this. Vince Bantu. That's yeah, exactly who. Good, good who scholar gave. on this. Yep.
0: Right. So when we look at the the racial injustices in our country mm-hmm. that have been led by um, the white people, now mm-hmm. we understand that racial injustice we can find this throughout the world, right? In That's various right. different right. various ways. But in terms of America, yeah. um, I've thought to myself, especially around Floyd, that um persons of color having received at its origin like this commun this this connection with God, mm. perhaps that was intruded upon by white people, is there this is mm. a crazy question, so you're not the answer. Okay, it. I
1: think I'm tracking. Go ahead.
0: Is is there sort of a <laughs> it's like a wrath hmm. right like a a, a recompense hmm. in terms of when we look at slavery when we look we talk a lot about reparations but um i just think about this sort of in the eternal sense and hmm. god's grace is powerful god's grace is, is yeah. I, i'm not speaking damnation over people but hmm. you know sometimes i think to myself like the intrusion upon uh, persons of okay, color especially saying. in america by white people, when God had already been at the center of Africans, yeah. you know what I mean. Is there? How does God view huh. that? Is that crazy?
1: Well, no, it's not crazy. I, I, I think I know what you're getting at. I, I mean, I'll, I'll share my my perspective here. I, there's something about um, the way the grace of God works, and yeah. that you know I have. I'm I'm gonna wind up plugging a book that I have coming out in the fall. Come on, plug a, it. Well, it's a book called Humility Illuminated and um and and what i try to argue in there is that humility is the is really about our relationship with god and then our relationship with each other but humility is what makes i think all the other virtues work yeah. <laughs> in a way but my point though is humility is not grasping for power right i mean we see that in in philippians 2 about jesus who in the form of god did not consider equality with god something to be held on to for personal gain sure so i think when when people think power is about securing my position and holding on to something that there will be a reckoning because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble Mm -hmm. so I think that we see over time in some form or another God's opposition to arrogance and God's elevation of those who've who've been uh, who've humbled themselves and have submitted themselves to God
0: you see how good he's making this sound (laughs) <laughs> that, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Keep yeah. talking about <laughs> that. That's what I'm talking
1: about. Oh, yeah, it was just, just well, flowing out of you. Well, here. It, doesn't, it doesn't always happen in our lifetimes, unfortunately, yeah, but yeah, I do yeah, think yeah, God yeah. works this way. But but as I say that, I, I'm careful to not say that it's just about replacing white power brokers with with black power brokers. I'm right. not saying that, right? I'm saying that the the idea is that, in fact, when I wrote Mike from the margins," and I talk about power inherent in people who are who have the spirit of God, who are not in the majority culture, it's not because I'm saying we want to have the same power that white people had. I, right. I don't want to make that case. Right. I don't want to have exploitative power. What I'm trying to say is we have a power that's different from that, yes, and our power is coming because of because of how we were treated, but also because of who God is. So that we have this power to transform the way things operate, because we know what the bottom is like, and we and we have this uh, perspective that's different from the people who've been on the top. So, so that's for me. It's so it's not about you know again knocking somebody out for just to put somebody else on the throne. It's to say there's a better way, and you need to look over here in the place that you would have ignored before to see that better way.
0: That's good. All right, mm-hmm. that's that's what I needed to sort out. <laughs> so, I love I love. It. I love it. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What do, can white leaders lead multi-ethnic churches?
1: I struggle with that one a lot. I've gone back and forth cuz there are some good models. I mean, you had my good friend on 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 this podcast, uh David Swanson. Swanson. And my he's, man, I mean, shout he's, out to Swanson. And a big shout out to him because he's really um unique in some ways. Um I I think I guess my answer would be yes, but I, but there's a lot of caveats to it <laughs> I, like this.
0: I like that you struggle with that though.
1: I, well my, my struggle is I, look i'm gonna i'm sharing from experience as well as yeah, yeah. i think there's data out there right on. when we were planting our church in dc called peace fellowship and um i left a, a church on capitol hill that was largely white and i w- and i had become the lead pastor of that church and faced well basically racism yeah and i re- wound up resigning i was only 40 years old i didn't know how to fight all this by myself mm. and i felt like i was alone and after I left, a lot of people left that church. They were disappointed that I left. They didn't all come with me. They all just left. And for about nine months, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was finishing up my PhD, but um, but we wound up planting another church. And several of those white folks, some of them who really connected with me, wanted to come. And we had a big conversation where we were discouraging that because we said, you know, here we are in this African American neighborhood, and we're going to have like a hundred white people come into the neighborhood. It's mm. going to it's going to really change things yeah. and maybe send a different kind of message to our community. And when we, we were really, when I say we, this is now a small core of us at the beginning, we had some hard conversations about this. And one person just said straight out, look, white people always take over. And there was that sense. And I have felt it in my experience. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to, like, declare it as true for all time. But it really did have that feeling. And we said, you know, if they if, if we're coming to serve this community, then let's let's make sure that The leadership of this church reflects this community and has a and sets a good example for this community. Mm -hmm. So we said, everybody's welcome, but you have to respect our context. And uh, and we had some white people who left, you know, when they when they for whatever reason, some did articulate their reasons. But it was it was a struggle for us back then. But we came to the conclusion that our our geographic context there in the southeast part of D.C., was that we did not need a church led by white people.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: That's good. Yeah.
0: Because of the, the temptation to take
1: over. Yeah. We, and, and I saw it. I mean, it's been my life experiences and I'm in my sixties now and uh, it's, it's over and over again you know there's i mentioned this in the book too but there's that scene in the first black panther movie when yeah, uh, yep. you know Remember when they're that? trying to get uh what well, king t'challa is incapacitated i'm not going to give that away but i'm sure everybody saw it but anyway <laughs> but mean, the you ro- seen black <laughs> yeah right but the royal family has come to get help from from the jabari tribe and mbaku yeah. is sitting on the throne and of course right when they try to plead their case it's the white guy who speaks up first agent rossi starts talking and mbaku starts you know banging his staff and they start barking and they drown him out and i was like yes because part of me is that's been my experience even though almost i mean everybody there is black except for the one white guy and he's the one who's going to talk and that's been my experience <laughs> so that's what i mean by white folks taking over, there's almost this assumption, and not that it's calculated. It's just been built into our society. The assumption that the white guy is the leader, the white person, mostly a yes. man, is going to be the one in charge, and, and we have to defer. Now, I know of models of white pastors leading in black neighborhoods. I, the question I would have is how empowered those people are really in that church and that's that's always an open question for me.
0: Yeah. So what what are you gonna so I do got a lot of buddies who mm-hmm. are passionate about multi Yeah. I mean everybody's not Swanson. That dude he, right, yeah, he's gonna yeah. get kicked out of the, the Caucasian <laughs> <He better not. laughs> assembly. Okay. But 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 I what you were gonna would you say s-
1: the denomination? Like you better not. No, not the <laughs> denomination, no. We got love for covenant. Yeah.
0: But but what what do you say to my my white friends who are like, "Hey, yeah. I I believe," and I got I got white buddies who have got really really great multi ethnic churches, okay, and I think they have great postures, but yeah. um, you know what what would you say to them? Well, do you have anything? If not, it's cool. I well, just... I think
1: the basic question I'm asking is, from whom are you willing to learn and submit yourself? Mm. So sometimes I see white young leaders who are raring to go. Yep. They got their Bibles, they got their plans, they got this strategy for reaching these communities. And sometimes they go into communities that are, that are, um, you know, Latino communities or African-American communities, and they, and they're going to set up shop and they're going to do their church and all of that. And they haven't necessarily stopped to learn from the folks who've been there already. That's one piece of learning, I mean, wow. but also, and I mean, some of us pay a lot of dues along the way. And I've certainly sat in my share of classes with never a white uh, I mean, never. Uh, uh, I mean, only white faculty members, only white, you know, denominational leaders. I've been in those spaces many, many years of my life. So I'm saying I paid a lot of dues. Yeah. So I feel like I can say whatever I want now. I'm over 60. I feel like <laughs> what, y- what y'all going to say? What y'all going to do? But but I don't see white people paying that dues. I don't mm. see white people sitting in spaces where they're in the minority, where they don't um, get deferred to, where where they have to receive. So I would say for those young pastors, or maybe not all young, but for those pastors who who are raring to go and work in those spaces i say you know pay some dues where you're not in charge mm,
0: that's yeah, it's hard that's a t-shirt
1: bro i mean but it's hard i mean i i have a friend who did consulting for a denomination and it's <laughs> a t-shirt that was good <laughs>
0: pay some dues when you're not in charge that's yeah, crazy yeah man.
1: but that's that, but he he said he was giving advice to this church that wanted to be multi-ethnic <clears throat> excuse me and this pastor was going to hire a black associate and uh, and my friend who was given the advice, he said, well, why don't you become the associate? And he just, just, he just could not, he just couldn't reckon with that, that the idea that he would be working for somebody black, mm. but that's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about is we've done that. I mean, I paid my dues as an associate. I paid my dues oh, doing Jesus. a lot of stuff, you know? And so that's a question I would have.
0: Okay. All right. I only got a couple minutes with yeah, you yeah. cuz
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I got No, no.
0: You're good. You're good. I, I, we got the bishop, the PhD, the <laughs> no, Look, I'm, I'm this is my man. I'm not big
1: on the titles, but I appreciate the love. <laughs> you're
0: not big on the titles, but you you got us. All right. Um give, give give me your take on the future of the multi happy mm-hmm. church. Maybe, maybe this is prophetic. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something that you see um maybe this is a uh I don't know, an exhortation. Yeah to leaders, yeah. um, but I think we all need to hear from you and your history. What, what, are, what are we stepping into and what should we be looking out for?
1: Yeah, I think what we're seeing and will continue to see and should see are more people of color. And for me, that includes women who are leading churches yes. and are setting the tone for what Christianity can look like in America. And I speak from you know my North American context here because that's the way that's what I know best. But I suspect that's going to be true in other places too. Um, but that leadership is is starting to emerge. We're seeing it more and more. And I think the future means that there'll be. <laughs> I mean, are your kids certainly my kids, but your kids, my grandkids, are going to be in churches that um, where it's going to be normal for them to see. Mm. Um, black people and other people of color in leadership and and white people um, serving in those churches hmm. who aren't always the ones up front. So I think the future is learning what, is, having that view um, from the margin, from the bottom, uh, that view being raised up and setting the tone for the future of the church.
0: Can we restore multi-ethnic?
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I th- and I, I mean,
0: call it a restoration because I, I just really see it as a travesty in many respects, yeah. you know. But so that's why I see this work as a restoration.
1: Look, there's been fits and starts. I mean, I, I talk about it in the book. I mean, the whole you know promise keepers and all that stuff. I mean, I I don't want to go backwards to all the things that evangelicalism tried. But I would say that maybe it's a restoration, but maybe it's a it's a it's a new thing. I don't know. But I I honestly think the church will do better when it when it sheds itself from from the white supremacy that it's been um that's been like this bondage it's been mm. under. Are and we still under that? We still well we still are. Yeah. Now that we is a broad we. I mean I'm saying yeah. that we as Christianity in America, but maybe I'm talking more about evangelicalism in some mainline yeah. spaces, but but there's largely a a white way that's a borrowed from Europeans to do to do church. But indigenous folks and other people of color in our country have kind of reshaped Christianity in some ways, that is what's gonna to come to the fore, and I think that's what's gonna help revamp um, and maybe even revive Christianity in the United States.
0: Let's go! Amen. Dr. Edwards, we're gonna get him out of here, but listen, mic for the margins. <laughs> This is that book right here. Thank you. And uh, the gospel's power to turn the tables on injustice. And, uh, hey, man, thanks, man, for hanging with us today. It's been a pleasure. We got to do a part two.
1: because Yeah, I'd love to come back. We need a good
0: another hour. Yes, yes. yes. I got a lot to say. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. And so so we're going to have you back. But just thank you. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you so much for who you are and what you do. And, uh, look, next time, y'all, we out of here. Gospel and race podcast. Peace.